Thank you, ladies. Well, good morning. Not preaching on time change Sunday. God love it. I don't know about you, but I always have ambitions of like going to bed early or trying to beat the system and set the clock like early in the afternoon, but I never do it. I always go to bed and then I'm thinking, oh, I just lost an hour. Um, you may be tired. I joked to my son a while ago and he said it was okay to say this, but I said, if you doze off, you're praying at the end of the service. So uh, if anybody dozes off, I'm, I'm just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. I uh, hope you're, hope you're uh, excited about today. If you have a Bible, if you'll grab it, turn to Romans chapter 5. Uh, I have a short passage. Uh, we're going to cover 11 verses, but I want you to keep that as home base. Uh, we have quite a bit to cover today, um, but that's going to be where we're at in those 11 verses. If you were with us for the first time, we are uh, walking through this book verse by verse, word by word, looking at this beautiful, beautiful but complex book, and we've, we've covered quite a bit. Um, we, we're going to see that t- today in chapter 5, we're going to look at the blessings, uh, six of them specifically, of our justification. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. But last week, we covered all of chapter 4. Uh, and this, this truth that Paul continues to repeat over and over and over and over again, he writes to this church, it's full of Jewish believers, Gentile believers, and they come together and he's reminding them over and over that religion cannot save you. You can't be good enough. There's not enough things you can do, okay? You can't be right with God by anything other than the saving grace of Jesus. And that's, that's all it's going to take. And so what he's going to do today is to give six blessings of that, and it's really straightforward, no curveballs. I'm going to show you six blessings from this, as if to say, here's the blessings, the benefits of being justified, made right by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask that you stand, and we'll read our text, uh, and then we will go through these verses together. Let's read these 11. I'll give you the six blessings up front. You can write them down. Uh, If you're a note taker, this is perfect for you, Uh, but... Chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. You're going to see a therefore. All this is in light of all of chapter 4 of the promise of the gospel. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom He has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through whom our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray together. If you would, uh, I I mean it when I say this, I do it on purpose. I want to give you a little personal time. Um, You may be tired, you may have had a great week, you may have a busy week ahead. I don't know your story. Uh, you may have big plans for this week or whatever, but I ask if your desire is to be changed and ask God to do something, uh, or maybe you're tired, ask for a little increased energy, uh, would you just ask him this morning and say, God, do something special in my heart. 
change me and shape me. Do something so that we can leave and be different. If you don't mind, pray for me that I would speak the words he'd have for us. And collectively, we would all be changed for the gospel. God, you've heard your people. Uh, you know our hearts, you know our desires, you know uh, our inner being, what's going on and what, what makes us tick and what's going on in our lives. You know our struggles, you know our fears, you know our doubts and our worries. You know where our minds are right now, you know maybe where our affections lie, and you know all of that. So God, just, just do what you, you've always promised to do, and that's to meet us and to be faithful. I pray that you would begin with me. I pray that you would give me an increased energy and, and, and a willingness to step in and to see what you have for us today by your Spirit and through your Word. Do something great today that you might receive all praise and all glory that you so rightly deserve, and we ask it in your great name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, uh, today, uh, if, if, if we're going to look at these blessings. I'm going to give them to you in just a minute. These six blessings, if you want to get your pen ready to write these down, six blessings of our justification. And it got me thinking about advertisements, commercials, and things like that, about how things try to, they try to sell things to you. Um, but I had a better illustration that came up. My son and I, we, we, we just went to watch the state basketball tournament the last couple of days in, in San Antonio, uh, kind of hang out, spend some time together. And in between basketball games, we would walk over to the, where the Riverwalk is, and we'd eat and that kind of stuff. There's a mall there. Um, and and it, it's crazy because we walk through, and there's those kiosks, you know, those little places in the mall where you just try not to make eye contact with them because they're going to try to sell you something. They're like spraying cologne on you and throwing stuff at you. And you're just like, just walk. You're like, don't look, don't look, don't look, don't look. Just keep going. But now they've upped their game. It's totally different now. They have these massage places that are literally moving out of their buildings in their stores. They're not even there anymore. They close the doors. And they put these little places where you sit down, they rub your shoulders. But here's what they do now. They come after you. They literally, these guys will come up to you and then happen. They come up to you, you're walking, and they will cut you off. And they're like, and they'll start just putting their hands on you, start massaging you. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of nice. Hey, it's like, and so they're, 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 they're talking and like, they're not trying to tell us anything. They just start rubbing your shoulder and like, oh, you're tight. And I'm like, yeah, well, that feels kind of good. And, and my friend and I were there and it's funny because they, they, they're trying to convince you and it's very, well, it works, um, about you need a massage. Your shoulders are tight. You need to come sit down. And I saw it happen and we watched it because we would eat at the food court and it works. They would grab people, and it didn't work on us because we kind of joked about stuff. One of my friend, he was like, oh, I got a condition. I can't let you do it. And he just kind of tried to avoid them. Um, but literally, they'll grab your shoulders, and they won't even let you go. They'll start massaging. Like, oh, yeah, you're tight. And they're like, come in. They'll literally will walk you over and sit you down, and they'll just start massaging you. And then they kind of, they oh, by the way, here's the prices as you're getting this half massage right here. And it's pretty effective. It didn't work on us, but... We watched them as we were eating. These people, they would literally grab them and not even tell them about the, the benefits of their product. They're just trying to show them, hey, you need to experience this and see firsthand you need a massage. And I thought about that this morning when I was looking at this because here's the thing. is like, like any product, commercial, you, credit card commercial, all these kind of things, they're trying to convince you of here is the benefit. Here's the blessings of our product of what we offer you. If, as if it's not enough to say, here's our stuff, it's good, let me explain to you why it's good. That is what Paul is doing in 11 verses today. He's going to give you these six blessings. Actually, I'm going to pull these six blessings out of uh, uh, So if you'd like to write this down, you can. 
Here's, here's the benefits. Here's the, the, the blessings of the gospel that he wants to show you. There's no curveballs today. It's very simple. We have unpacked for four chapters the blessings of the gospel. Religion can't save you. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. And what he's going to do with these 11 verses is he's going to say, this is the benefit. This is the blessing. This is why you need Jesus, because I'm going to walk with the, the peace with God. You have access to God. You're going to have a glorious hope. And by the way, the A and the B, that's the first half of the verse and the end of the verse, just in case it took me a while to figure that out one time. Christian character, you're going to see God's love for us. So kiddos, listen for that when we get there. And then we're going to be see, see that we're safe from future wrath for our sin. So no curveballs. Let's look at it today really quick. And the very first thing as we're going to see as we get into verse 1. But we need to be reminded of chapter 4, where we ended, in verse 25. Jesus, he was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised for our justification. So Paul, in 11 verses, is going to say, here it is. Here's the blessing. Here's why you need Jesus. As if it's not enough, let me detail for you why you need this. The very first thing is, number 1, verse 1, we have peace with God. Look at verse 1. Therefore, in light of all of chapter 4, since we have been justified through faith, here it is, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is not like, hey, you've had a bad week, it's all going to be smoothed out for you. This idea of peace that we've talked about before, we talk about it at Advent quite a bit, it is, it, it basically it goes directly towards the wrath of God. Peace is when God's wrath is subsided because of what he has done for us. We talked about this in chapter 1. In verse 18, that the wrath of God is being revealed, not, not future, but it is being revealed against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. You know, I said this about three weeks ago, that, that we don't like to talk about the wrath, but the truth is, is that God's wrath towards sin, it, 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 in the Greek, it's a, it's, it's a passion, it's a, it's a rage, it's a fury. It's also often called a righteous anger. It's not simply being annoyed or irritated, and we'll talk more about this later, but God's holiness, God's righteousness, God's true justness is stirred into activity because humanity is rebelling against his authority. I, I described it a long time ago about parents when finally when you're kids, when they rebel and they rebel, there comes a point where you've got to step in. There comes a point as a parent where you say, hey, I'm the parent. I'm not your buddy. I'm not your pal. I got to step into this and say, hey, there's a line that you can't cross. But it comes to authority. And so what God's righteous anger, it's stirred into activity. And if you notice, it is being revealed. But this is the gospel. This is why Isaiah prophesied and said in Isaiah 53, But Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace, that took the wrath of sin, was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. And we all like sheep have gone astray. And each one has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, number one, this, this peace with God, this blessing, if you want to call it, of, of our justification in the gospel of what Jesus has come to do that religion can't do for you, it brings peace. That Jesus took the death that we deserve and he absorbed all wrath, all fury of God's wrath towards sin in his justness, in his righteousness, and he took it upon himself. And we, we are blessed with peace, with him. That's, 
I don't know about you, but I think about this whole selling a product thing, but what a blessing. And Paul wants this church in Rome to realize, hey, number one, you got peace with God. But look at number two. We have peace. That's the first blessing. But number two is we have access. Look at, look at verse two, the first part of it. Through whom, Jesus, through whom we have gained access by faith into, which, uh, into this grace in which we now stand. I'm going to stop there. The other part's coming in just a minute. But let's talk about what this access to God, because it kind of sounds weird. Historically, the Jews were kept from God's presence with a veil of the temple. And the Gentiles were kept out by a wall that basically, in David's paraphrased version, says, you cross it, you're going to die. You can't go past this point, and if you do, you're going to die. That's my paraphrased version. But if you reflect back in, in, in the Gospel of Luke in 23, when Jesus died, I know you know this, but do you know what happened? It says this, that it was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until about three in the afternoon. And the sun stopped shining, and the curtain, when Jesus died, of the temple was torn into two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. So this access that we have, divine access, in the Old Testament, they would go and the priest would intervene on their behalf. But the author of Hebrews chapter 10 is powerful, it's beautiful, but we have a great high priest in King Jesus who shows up, as the author of Hebrews says, that the, the sacrifices over and over and over, they would not take away sins. But the author of Hebrews 10 says this, that therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have now a confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus and by a new and living way that is opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a high priest over the house of God, Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice of atonement, which is a fancy word in case we, to be on the same page, when Jesus took our place. And we stand there forgiven in the presence of his grace. We have peace with him. We have full access to him. And we have a relationship with King Jesus. I, I love how Tim Keller had a, has a lot to write on this stuff, but he, he makes a comment about how we have a relationship with King Jesus. And he says, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. in the morning for a glass of water is a child of the king. We have that kind of access. And here's the thing, is that, that's, a great, and that's a great quote and all, but I'm not going to lie to you, uh, it convicts me. And you and I have access to the God of the universe through the sun. But it kept reminding me, and I kept studying this, I kept looking at it, and I, I was like, but it was convicting because I kept thinking to myself, do I take advantage of that access? In our Christian culture, what do we say all the time? It's not about religion. It's about a what? A relationship. That's what we say a lot. But the thing that kind of convicted me was this, is like, am I taking advantage of that access? There's nothing that hinders for me and the God of the universe. Do I, do I long to talk to him? Now hear me, this is where it gets personal for you. Do I long to open up the scriptures and say, I, I, I need this, this is the living word of God. Do I long to live a life that reflects him? Do I long to, to come to worship and gather? Do I long for the things that matter to him? So I, I want to look at you this morning because this was something that was convicting for me. I want to ask you this, if you're a follower of Jesus and you have access to the God of the universe through King Jesus, are you taking advantage of that in, in a positive sense? Do you have a relationship with the God of the universe through King Jesus that is granted to you by the sacrifice that he gave? And I kept looking at that, and it convicted me, and I, and I pray that it's a, it's a good conviction of the soul of, do I long for him? Do I pray? Do I long for the scriptures? Do I want to just sit in his presence? 
this amazing access to God that's granted through Jesus? Am I using it? My burdens, my worries, my concerns, my fears, maybe right now some of you have a lot going on. Do I, do I believe in who he says he is? Do I believe in what he claimed to do? Do I desire to know him? Do I know him more today than I did yesterday? That's the opposite. Everything about this in this access to God, I want you to see this. It is the direct opposite of religion. It goes from knowing about him, and I say this all the time, it's the difference between knowing about him to knowing him. You could come into this church for your whole life, friends. I know we're at light in attendance. You could be here your whole life, but if not careful, be not one step closer to him than you were 50 years ago. You can know a lot about him. It's the same if you're married, okay, whatever, my wife's not here. I, always talk, I feel like I always talk about marriage stuff. My wife's not here. That's probably not good. It's, it's like doing nothing to pursue and know your spouse any better, and you just kind of hang out and you, you, whatever. But at the end of your life, you don't, I don't know you any better. That's not a relationship. But do we long for that? So I just wanted to, to lay that before you when you think about this. And it's not just a religious thing of, yes, Jesus died for us and now have access to God. But do we have access to him? Are you living in that? Because dare I say, in 2023, we can be the most religious people in the Christian culture. We can come, we can know our Bibles, we can be at church, we can do all these things, but I, I, I want you to just kind of do an internal reflection. If you don't know Jesus, then this is not for you. Well, the gospel's for you, but if you know Jesus, I'm asking you to look back on your sanctification, look back on what God has done, and, and look back on your journey. Are you deeper into relationship with him now than you were when you started? I used to ask people this question, this is just something God put on my heart. I, was, I used to say something like, what's your number? And they're like, What? I was saved when I was nine years old. If I don't know God any more than I did as a nine-year-old boy, that's a problem. What's your number? When were you saved? When did you give your life to King Jesus? And he not just, not just to get baptized and go back to living your life, but when he changed you, are you different? Is your relationship different? Or, this is the challenging part, so protect your feet if it's going to step on toes, but I'm going for here, not your toes. What's that relationship look like? Do you have a relationship with access to him, or is it more religious? Study, gather on occasion, do the things that he's asked us to our best ability, but do you know him? So I don't want to just glance past this access to him, I want us to look at it, because number three, we have access to him, but look at the end of verse two, not only do we have peace with him and access to him, but number three, we have a glorious hope. I'm going to read all of two, but I want to focus on the very end of chapter, oh, verse two, excuse me. Through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. We're standing in grace. And we boast or we rejoice, depending on your translation, in the hope of the glory of God. What does that mean? We see peace, it, it takes care of our, of our past. We have access in the present, but this hope of, our glory, of the glory of God excuse me, is looking ahead. It's masterful what Paul's saying. We boast or we, we rejoice. Those should be the lives or the, the lifestyle or the mark of a Christian. In the New Testament, hope is not wishful thinking. Biblical hope is not optimism. Hope is not thinking, I hope this works out. I hope these circumstances get better. Hope is a confident Hear this. We talk about it at Advent a lot, but I want you to hear this because I'm, I'm going to bet that there's some in this room today that maybe life's kind of difficult. Maybe hope's kind of been crushed. Maybe there's life that gets burdensome. Hope is a confident expectation on the character and the promises of God. 
I did not tell you that hope is based that your circumstances are going to get better. But hope is a confident expectation that is based on his character and on his promise. It's not based on feelings. It's not placed on desires or positive thoughts. It is based on a person, and his name is Jesus. 1 John 3 says this, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we have, excuse me, and what we will be has not been made yet known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And all of us, all who have this hope in him, purify themselves just as he is pure. There is a future glory, a future hope. And that is mind-blowingly, if that's even a word, I want you to see this. This is what Jesus prayed for. Look at the screen. John 17, 24. Jesus prayed this for us. He said, Father... After he prayed for his disciples, and he's going to pray for all those to come later, he said, Father, I want those that you've given me to be with me where I am. And what? To see my glory. The glory that you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus is praying for you to have a future hope, a future glory of, of living with him forever. And we stand in his grace. Paul says we stand in grace. We don't boast in ourselves, but we rejoice in what he has done. But even, this is where it's going to get kind of real for us, but even in the world when things get hard, when we suffer, when we struggle, we live in a world that has fallen. There are things that happen around us. Our lives are going to show that, and that is exactly what three and four. Number, this, this is the next one. I want you to stay with me on this. Number four is this, that there's a Christian character that, that, that is a blessing from our justification. Look at verse three and four. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character hope. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. If you're having a pretty hard time, a pretty hard week, this is going to be difficult for you to hear. Because what I'm about to tell you is God is not going to take away your struggles. God is not going to just, quote, fix any struggle that you have. But here's what I can for those of us that are in Christ Jesus, hear this, our trials, our suffering works for us, not against us. Let me say that again. What you're going through or going to go through, it is something that God works for you, not against you. I'm not going to lie to you. I wish sometimes as a pastor, and please hear my heart on this, I wish I could sit up here and say, man, if you give your life to Christ, it's going to be smooth, smooth sailing. Now, let me look at you. That, that is a false gospel that a lot of people want to talk about. You know why? Because it's easy. Everybody wants that. Dare I say I could fill this room, maybe even on spring break. Kidding. But if that's, the, if that's what we're peddling, if that's what we're offering. But that's a lie. Scriptures don't tell, t tell us that. Jesus didn't promise that. But what you're going through, now hear this. I don't know your story. And I don't need to know. But I know that if you're going through pain, suffering, trial, worry, there's stuff in your life that's just turmoil, that I'm just telling you. It's, it's not, I'm not taking it away. But God promises that's working for us, not against us. It's part of God sanctifying us in this glory in our sufferings because it produces this character of knowing him. Romans 8 says this, that who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
there in a couple of months, probably down to Romans 8, but listen to this. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Jesus who loves us. And listen to what Paul says. Please hear me on this. He says, for I'm convinced. I am fully persuaded, as he said before in other texts. I am fully convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor present or future, or any powers, nor height, nor depth, anything in all of creation is going to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Now, before you say amen or think that, you're, some of you are thinking just what I'm thinking. But you know what? That doesn't promise you that what you're going through is going to go away. But he promises to be with you. It's kind of cheesy and cliche, but I've heard this before, that if God gets you to the storm, he's going to get you through the storm. I just want you to hear this. If you're a believer, a follower of Jesus, what you're going through is God producing for you a character that's going to be more like him. I know that's not a very good sales pitch, if you will, if you're thinking about about illustration earlier, but it's true. It's why James was able to say how we could somehow mind-blowingly consider it joy when we go through trials. Because we know that the testing produces perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that we may be mature and complete, hear this, and not lacking anything. Can I tell you something, church? I know we're talking this morning, and I don't want to lose you this morning, but I want you to hear this. If you're not in something, you're going to go through something. But I'm telling you that there is a relationship. Hear this. There is a side, as, as Paul has given these blessings of our justification, peace, access. And he's talking about this character right in the middle of it that we just kind of glance past before we get to the love of God because we want to talk about the love. But he's telling us, hey, what you're going through, God is going to sanctify you and shape you into something that you can't be outside of it. James tells us that there is a maturation process of something that we can see a side of God and a relationship, if that's what we're after, because that's what it's about, that you can only have. You can only have it on the other side of pain. Now, if I did a sermon title about, you know, blessings in the pain, it may be empty in here. But I want you to hear this. Please hear this, and we'll move on quickly. If you're in the midst of something right now, pain, struggle, worry, doubt, don't miss it. God can be maneuvering that and shaping you into something that you cannot be unless you go through it. You know, all the time, we can't do the fast pass in Disneyland. We can't just skip all of it. We would all want to just skip that, right? Anybody want to skip pain and suffering? But see this. This is part of the blessing of our justification. It's not just about getting to go to heaven someday. Can you look at me this morning? It's right now. What you're going through right now, there is a blessing of that justification. That's not just getting to go to glory someday. That what you're going through now is not lost. He's working. He's shaping you. And he's molding you. Praise God for that. Quickly, let's go to the, the fifth. Kiddos, in the children's sermon, this is for the part where we talk about, about God's love. And that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We have the Holy Spirit. You see, at just the right time, I'll talk about that in just a minute, when you were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. Kiddos? But God demonstrates or shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You're probably thinking I say this all the time because I do, but it's one of my favorite verses. 
I love the fact that God doesn't wait for you and me to clean ourselves up in which we deserve anything that he gives us. While you're a sinner, he steps in. God's love is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. When God invades our heart, when you give your life to Christ, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that God's love is poured, lavished upon you. And we see the beauty of the gospel. In a world that loves to talk about love, in a world that loves to, to say that they love this, they love this, they love this, that God shows or demonstrates to us his love. I read a story about a pastor that was interviewing a burn victim, not interviewing, excuse me, visiting a burn victim, and he was going to the hospital, and he kept going, and he was totally burned up. The doctors repeatedly told him, you're going to be okay, you're going to make it, you're going to survive this whole thing, you're going to have a lot of scars, it's going to be pretty tough, but I'm just, they kept reassuring him over and over, and later, the pastor kept visiting, and kept visiting, and kept visiting, but what the person told him was this, is that it wasn't that the doctors told me I was going to be okay that got me through it. It was the love of my family. It was love of the God of the universe that loved me. And knowing that I'm loved by him and loved by people, that's what drove me to, to think, I'm going to get through this. It wasn't the diagnosis that you're going to be okay. So we look around, and I just want you to think and, and get personal, whatever you're going through. Maybe, maybe it's, it's not the equivalent of anything that tragic, obviously, but whatever we're going through, to be reassured that God of the universe loves you. He steps in, not just to die for you so you could go to heaven, but to walk with you through this life. And I want that to reassure you, just like that guy, that God's with you and for you and loves you. One thing quickly before we go to the last one is this. You see, look at verse 6. It says, you see, at just the right time, that first part of that verse, just the right time when we were still powerless. You know what I love about that? We just gloss past that so quickly. This gospel that we have of God doing this was totally planned out. It wasn't as if God had a plan, and, oh, sin came in, what are we going to do? Go, Jesus, let's figure this out. It wasn't like that. It was perfectly and sovereignly planned out. Galatians 4 says this, Paul writes to the church in Galatia that's struggling with religion. He says, when the time, when, when, the, when, the, excuse me, when the set time had fully come, when the appointed time has arrived, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Over and over, Paul is telling these guys that, especially those from the Jewish faith, this is not a plan B. This is not a, oh, by the way, what are we going to do? It was all designed from the very beginning. This a perfectly appointed time for Jesus to come. He demonstrates his love in our sin. He died. He doesn't wait for us to clean ourselves up and be good. His redeeming love is deep, and it is wide, and it is long. And that's why Paul writes over and over and over. I think it was in Ephesians. He says, I want you to know the depth and the height and the width of his love. Because he's not saying clean yourselves up. He goes, I want you to know the power of the gospel, that you were loved that much. That he didn't just tell you, he showed you. Last but not least, number six. We talked about a current wrath. Where we talked about in Romans chapter one when God says, if that's what you want, then go after it. I'm not, I've done enough. The cross and the gospel is enough. But now, talk about a blessing, number six, that we are saved from the future wrath for our sin. Look at 9 and 10. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved 
through his life. You'll see a beautiful thing in verse 10. You'll see the death of his son and the resurrection. Paul says both. He talks about we've been saved through the death and the resurrection through his life. It's a beautiful text because he's talking about the already and the not yet. That God has shed his blood for the forgiveness of sin. And he's looking to that future hope. In John chapter 3, John the Baptist, or JTB, says this. He's talking about those who believe in the Son. We're talking about a future. If you're you're thinking about that future glory of standing before him someday, being justified, and if that's what you're banking on and hoping for, that's the thing. That's what he's talking about here. John the Baptist said, whoever believes by faith in the Son of God, the same thing that Paul said, whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Do you see how it comes together? You believe, you have eternal life. For those who reject, you're not going to see life. And that wrath of God is still upon us. You see, true followers of Jesus don't have the wrath of God on them now, church, hear this, or waiting for them. It is that future hope of glory of looking to that day when you're going to stand before the, the God of the universe and covered by the blood of Jesus, you're going to be forgiven and God's going to Look at you. He's not going to hold you accountable for the things that you've done because you have an imputed righteousness that is given to you by Jesus. We boast, we don't beat our chest. And John the Baptist says, you know what? Hey, church, reject it or receive it. Can't save yourself. Try hard enough. Salvation is for all who would choose to believe. And we can rejoice with assurance. Look at verse 11 and we're almost done. What's the response? We've seen these six blessings. They've they've been spelled out for us, but look at verse 6. Here's the the response is that we rejoice in who he is. Look at verse 11. Not only is this so, but we boast or rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What does that mean? I need you to hear this. The bottom line is this, is that Rejoicing in the gospel, rejoicing in who he is. Now hear this, it means that you are not viewing God as a means to an end. When I was in youth ministry, there was a thing that was current. We were talking to a lot of our students and a lot of things in the church. It was like 20 years ago. But, um, but there was something we were wrestling with. There was a lot of people, a lot of adults, in the, especially in the church, that they wanted the benefit of Christianity but wanted nothing to do with Jesus. They wanted to pray a prayer, get baptized, and go to heaven when they die. They want to live the life on this earth the way that they want to live. And we try to repeatedly show them in Scripture, that's not, that doesn't work. That's the oil and water. It doesn't go. It don't work that way. You see, what Paul says in light of these six blessings of our justification, we boast and rejoice, have joy in him for who he is. Not just for what we can receive from him. John Stott puts it this way. He says, it seems clear from this text that the major hallmark of justified believers is joy, especially joy in God himself. This is convicting. We should be the most positive people in the world. Let me say that again. We should be the most positive people in the world for the community of Jesus Christ is characterized not by self-triumphalism of what we've accomplished, but by God-centered worship, everything about our lives is pointing to him. And let me be very clear. I'm not talking about in here. 
This is the easiest place to do it. Everything about this is set up for we could focus on him. But what we're talking about is that we have rejoicing in him. We're not beating our chest as far as we've done it or have accomplished anything. But our lives are marked by joy in who he is. I'll close with this. In Philippians chapter 3. Paul is, is in the midst of this, and, and it's funny when you see this kind of playing out through the epistle. Paul has, has been detailing that, about what the righteousness of a believer is really all about. It's a call to rejoice, realizing the gospel humility. There's no confidence in ourselves. We don't beat our chest. We don't think that we've accomplished something. We don't think that we really have arrived or anything. It is all about a humble boasting in the finished work of what somebody else has done, what God has done for us. And we've detailed six blessings. But even in the church in, in Philippi, he's downplaying all this stuff because here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give a text to you in just a minute in Philippians chapter 3 and then we're done. But Paul just gets through talking about himself. He says, hey, if anybody thinks they've got a reason to put confidence in themselves, to put confidence in, them, in, in the flesh, it's me. He calls himself the Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on, uh, on the eighth day. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. As for zeal, he calls himself a Pharisee. And listen to what he says. This is before my text. He says, even when it comes to the law, blameless. But then listen to what he says. Philippians chapter 3 verse 7, he says this, and I'm done. But whatever, after all of that, about himself, about anything he brings to the table, he says, whatever gains that I had, I consider them a loss for, sake, for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything garbage or a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Doesn't say knowing about him. For whose sake I have lost what? all things. I consider them rubbish or garbage that I may gain Christ in being found in him, not having a righteousness that is of my own, that comes from the law, but that which is through Christ Jesus. The righteousness that comes from God it is on the basis of faith. It is woven throughout all of his letters. Here's my challenge to you this morning. If Paul who is more religious than anybody in this room says, all of that is garbage. Not compared to the surpassing weight of going to heaven when I die. Did you hear it? He didn't say that. He said, Nothing, none of that matters compared to the worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Did you see it? The most religious guy in the world that persecuted Christians is now saying, none of that matters. It's about knowing him. Access to him. So here's the thing, and I'm done. Do you? God help me, or help us, or help you, if we spend so much time in this church, and we get all the facts and the figures, and we, but we don't have that relationship with him. I pray, and we're going to pray and be done, I pray that maybe there's somebody here today, young or old, that you have never given your life to Christ. You know, you know about him. You can tell me stories, you can do Bible drill, give me the, where the Bible verses are, all that stuff, but if you've never placed your faith and trust in you, those six blessings, none of that is yours. None of it. There is no peace with God. There is no access to Him. There is no future hope. But there can be. But those who would believe, John the Baptist, believe by faith and not reject. I'm going to ask you about where you're at. Before we stand and sing our last time, the praise band is going to come on up. I just want you to pray. If you know Jesus, would you just 
let him remind you of all those blessings. If you don't, I pray that the Spirit of God would would land on you in such a way that you can't push it away anymore, push him away anymore, excuse me. That you would ask questions, that you would find somebody, come down and talk to me. Let's Let's talk about what it means to know him. That today could be the day of salvation. And in a small setting like this, on a simple Sunday morning in small town America, souls could be saved forever. And hear this. Those of you that do know Jesus, I pray that you would wrestle with those six blessings and not tuck them away, but wrestle with them. Peace, access, hope in pain and suffering, all of that. All because of what he's done for us. You pray, and then we're going to stand and sing, and I'll be here for you.